0: This morning is Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26 Thursday evening on Ascension Day at the service we read together Acts 1 verses 1 to 11 and now we continue the Acts 1 starting at verse 12 hear the word of the Lord then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is the Sunday between Pentecost and between Ascension Day and Pentecost. In our text, the sermon today, gives us a sense of the mood and the expectations of those days so many years ago. On the eve of his ascension, Jesus had told his disciples, you can see that in Acts 1, verse 4, to wait for the promise of the Father. And Luke 24, verse 49, stay in the city until they would be clothed with power from on high. It was only after the Holy Spirit had come upon them that they would be equipped to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, like we read about in Acts 1, verse 8. And so after being urged by the two men dressed in white clothes to stop staring at the place where Jesus had ascended and get on with it, the disciples returned the one-kilometre or so, a Sabbath day journey is maximum 2,000 cubits permitted by the Jews on a, sun, on a Sabbath, after they had returned this roughly one kilometer from the mount called Olivet to Jerusalem, they gathered together in an upper room. And our text allows us to look in to this upper room, which was probably just a large meeting hall above someone's living quarters, where the disciples were staying at that time. Luke's description of that scene has that incomplete feeling that comes when people are waiting expectantly for something and they're preparing themselves. Although Jesus had chosen and appointed 12 disciples to be the apostles, you can see that in Luke 6, but also Acts 1 verse 2, now the list given Only Numbers' 11 disciples who came together after Jesus' ascension, verse 13. For a person looking in from the outside, their meeting appeared to be just some small and insignificant gathering of the students, the disciples, the supporters, referred to as the women, possibly also the apostles' wives and children, and the family, Jesus' mother and brothers, who were taking some time to remember a good man Jesus who had left them. People might even think that this was nothing more than a gathering of the deflated remains of an unsuccessful movement that was now hunkering down to pray and grieve their misplaced faith and who would have no relevance or impact on the culture around them. However although it might have appeared to be anticlimactic and insignificant to some, when we look at the text with knowledge from the inside, we immediately recognize that this short period of time was of the utmost importance for the ongoing work of our ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Being commanded to wait, the people of God were not inactive at all, But they immediately began the action of praying together with one mind, focusing their attention on their task, preparing themselves for the calling that lay ahead of them. It was the best thing that they could do in that time, the the most efficient means of preparation that God has given to his people. Perhaps we could call it pre praying for the next step of God's redemptive work through their prayers which must have included a diligent searching of the Scriptures to understand their task and calling the Lord made it clear to the early church leaders that they must also repair the hole left in the church's foundation by Judas departure so that they might be ready to go out into their work as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I preach you the gospel of the Lord's establishment of the 12 foundations of the new Jerusalem, which is the bride of the Lamb, his church, under the following theme God revealed his plan to build his church on the foundation of 12 apostles. We'll see, God's word about Judas' betrayal had to be fulfilled, God's word about Judas' replacement had to be obeyed. And God's word about Jesus' church has to happen. Considering that Jesus had spent a night praying before he went out and chose his disciples, and that Jesus knew the hearts of men, the fact that Judas had betrayed his Lord was very hard to understand and grasp. The very person Who had been numbered among us, said Peter, and was allotted his share in the ministry by Christ Jesus himself, became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Although he had seen and he had heard everything from the beginning, the the miracles, the parables, the arrest, the handing over to Pilate, Judas did not believe. He turned away from it all. Peter says, to go to his own place because he was greedy for money. We understand the shock and the sorrow of seeing children of God who were instructed in the truth abandon their Savior. We grieve when we see to what lengths of betrayal and cruelty and wickedness a person will go to get richer. The love of money is the root of all evil and we are once again warned that we need to repent from our greed, before our eyes can be opened to see Jesus Christ, even if he is standing before us in the flesh. Peter's only explanation of this infamous example of everyday betrayal and rejection of salvation in Jesus Christ is that it had to happen this way. It had to happen this way because God doesn't lie. The Lord had given many psalms that make it clear that there would be children of the devil who would remain so blinded in the devil's lies that they would attack the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. In explaining what happened with Judas and how it had to happen, Peter refers to the well-known Psalm 69, which was used by Jesus to explain that he was the suffering servant was used by Paul to describe the rebellious position that Israel had taken. You could see that in Romans 11. Psalm 69 contains a curse against all those who caused the suffering of God's servant, which Peter sees fulfilled by Judas' rejection and betrayal of Christ Jesus. Judas' dwelling had become desolate, a desolation. He was not in the place that God had assigned to him, for he had gone to his own place, the place where he belonged. Luke's explanatory comments about Judas's death make it clear that Judas' abandonment of his place of life in the kingdom of God was not just figurative. Judas literally was no more, explains Luke, because he had committed suicide, which means killing yourself. He had killed himself. And you can read more about that in Matthew 27. And when you do that, you'll notice some significant differences. The significant differences between the description of Judas' suicide in Matthew 27 and Acts 1 can be harmonized by just adding everything together. It would appear that Judas indirectly acquired a field when his financial gift of blood money or wages of iniquity that he threw back at the chief priests was used by the chief priest to buy a potter's field the potter's field is where potters go to get their clay matthew knew that judas had hung himself matthew 27 verse 5 and perhaps coming later as a doctor luke knew that the rope or whatever had been holding him broke and Judas fell headlong on the rocks, bursting open in the middle so that all his bowels gushed out. The curse of God's enemies. You can read of, of this bowels gushing out and being smashed on rocks in the Psalms as a curse on the children of God's enemies had fallen upon Jesus' betrayer just as God had said. Judas had not just left his office and betrayed the Lord, but he was cursed by God. He died a a shameful and undignified death on a plot of land that was reserved for strangers, for foreigners. Luke's explanation about Judas' demise is really one more serious call to repentance for all unbelievers and greedy money lovers who abandon Christ and his church to to turn to their own way, to, to, to turn to their own kingdoms. It asks the question, will you follow Judas who betrayed Christ for some money and died by hanging himself in utter shame under God's curse? Or will you follow Jesus who was hung on a cross by his enemies to bear your shame and your curse so that you may have eternal life in God's blessing? Will you die in your sins at Akeldama, the field of blood, or will you bring your sins to Golgotha, the place of the skull? Judas was guilty of shedding innocent blood. Jesus shed his innocent blood to purify the guilty. Judas changed that potter's field and made it to a field of blood. Jesus changed the place of the skull into a place of hope forever. Judas died as a selfish man trying to escape his guilt and shame for killing someone. Jesus died as the unselfish one to bring eternal life to those who killed him. Judas died playing God Jesus was God. Judas' body was fallen and burst open on the rocks. Jesus' body was removed with respect and laid in a rock tomb that he would burst out of. And then we see how brightly Jesus' victory over death shines in the darkness of of the curse. We see the contrast and we, we see what a beautiful picture of hope it gives to all of us as we meditate on the risen and ascended King we serve. This gospel of Christ's destruction of the curse, of, of life in Him, is the very message that He wanted the world to hear. The reason He sent out the apostles. And just as God's Word described, what bad things had happened, it also outlined what new thing must happen. And Peter understood this. He could see that when he joined the two psalms together. And so we see God's word about Judas' replacement had to be obeyed. And so in the context of this pre praying congregation, this congregation praying in preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and having used Psalm 69, verse 25 to explain that the lost disciple was a part of God's plan, Peter then refers to Psalm 109, verse 8, to explain what must now be done. It's the end of verse 20. Let another take his office. Peter understood from the Scriptures that the vacancy had to be filled. And as we study all that was done to replace Judas, we see that Peter had a very clear goal his mind. First of all, we see that he is very specific about the list of qualifications. It's verses 21 and 22. The apostle had to be one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Judas' replacement had to be an eye and an ear witness of Jesus' entire ministry starting from his baptism. All arguments for apostolic succession that extends all the way to the present day fall by the wayside. And we see that in God's plan, his church would be based on real events that took place. Apostles are compared to foundations. The church is built on the solidified confession of the truthful facts of Jesus' life and the work of the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to remember these things and understand them correctly. That was unique, one-time work in the history of Revelation. The apostles also understood that they were called very specifically to become witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. It was a, a focused task and calling, a focused message, a preaching of life and victory. The emphasis of their preaching, and you can see that when you read through the rest of Acts, is on the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead after he had paid for sins, and satisfied God's justice on the cross. And they prayed to the Lord, who knows the heart, because they wanted a man who believed this truth, this gospel, with all sincerity. The apostles, as witnesses, were to be heralds of the good news that death had been defeated by Jesus Christ. And by building his church, on the reality of facts that were testified to by witnesses with pure hearts. The church was given a solid foundation, a single message, and a savior who could not be changed through human interpretations based on different contexts. It truly is a rock-solid foundation of true events. There is then a limit to so-called contextualization of the gospel. The facts are there. The eyewitnesses are necessary. And secondly, we notice that Peter and the apostles were very clear that, they were, that there was just one vacancy that needed to be filled. And although they even had two candidates, they chose just one person. Now, if Jesus' goal at this time was to reach the most people possible, then the more apostles going out from Jerusalem there were, the better it would be. Peter understood, however, that the scriptures were not calling him to put this focus on the work right away, the work that needed to be done, but on ensuring that there were 12 apostles. And that makes us ask, why is the number 12 so important? Now the first obvious answer is that Jesus had shown that the number 12 was important. For this was the pattern he established when he chose just 12 disciples. He could have chosen 13 or 14 or 15, but he chose 12. In addition, their appointment of the 12th apostle would have been an expression of their trust and confidence in the promise that the Lord Jesus himself spoke that in the future the 12 disciples would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I think that's the, the display text that was, was on the wall. Matthew 19, verse 28, the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that the disciples later appointing 12 apostles were showing that they believed what Jesus had promised. And Jesus' connection between the twelve disciples and the twelve tribes of Israel, further reveals that the twelve apostles were the continuation of the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the promise of many of the psalms, even the psalms that we sung today. This is why James could address the entire church as the twelve tribes of the dispersion, James 1 verse 1. The new Jerusalem of Revelation 21 was to be understood as the continuation of the old Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And so the vision of the church descending from heaven shows that the twelve tribes of Israel are the gates and the twelve apostles are the foundations of the church of Jesus Christ. This bridging connection was fundamental for the spread of the gospel after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And as the eyewitnesses went out and testified to Christ's resurrection, first for the Jews, then to the Gentiles, it was very clear this was the work of Jesus Christ himself. And our Lord Jesus made this very clear as well for when Peter obeyed the scripture to replace Judas, Peter and the apostles were very careful to ensure that it was the same Lord who had chosen and appointed the other disciples who now appointed the replacement. If you look at the prayer that accompanied the lots that were cast, you see it's in verse 24. You see how the believers entrusted the appointment to their Lord. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. And the clear message for the world was that there was one Lord and Master in the church who was the foundation of of all the authority and all the truth to all 12 of the apostles equally. And so when we look back, we could say whether we're the fruit of this newly appointed Matthias his eyewitness reports, or of Peter's, or of John's. It is ultimately Jesus Christ, the risen, ascended, and living Lord, who has gathered us to himself. And today we read all this to assure us and to comfort us that our Lord Jesus Christ stands behind and with his church. And all that God's word promises about Jesus Christ's church has to happen, must happen. And then we realize that Acts 1, verse 12 to 26 is not just a description of the way things used to be. It's not just a glimpse of of history, but rather it is a description of the very ground that we today are standing on. We as assembled Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, And so our passage today is a description of what it means to be a part of Christ's church. Looking back, we see how fundamentally we are tied to the apostolic witness of the facts of Christ's work for us and in our place. And that also makes it clear why our creeds are really statements of what Christ Jesus had done, attested to by the eyewitnesses accounts of the apostles. Our very existence depends on the truth of their testimony. In addition to this, we see that it was always our Lord Jesus' plan to build on the foundation He had laid. You are not here today by chance, but you are here because the Lord Jesus Christ was planning this from the beginning and and even you could see after His ascension. Just before he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he established the 12 foundations of the church, the 12 apostles, the basis for the household of believers in whom God dwells by his Spirit. The message for the world is that the church-gathering work of Jesus Christ that began in the Old Testament and is continuing after Christ's ascension through the eyewitness accounts of the apostles that all testify to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ's saving work. In Ephesians 2, verses 18 to 22, we we read part of that together. We read that together in Ephesians 2, verses 18. 18 to 22, this mystery of the gospel was proclaimed by Paul when he showed how the barriers of of race were destroyed in Christ so that all those who were once aliens of the covenant, all those who once deserved the curse that we read in Psalm 69, the curse that Judas experienced, the curse that Christ bore for us. All those who were once aliens to the covenant can now be citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God's word has announced it, and so it has to happen. It's a promise that is fulfilled through our obedience God's calling and as the church and after ascension they gathered in prayer and studied the word and made their conclusions about what needed to happen based on scripture we too can do the same and although we are not witnesses eye and ear witnesses the command and the call to reach the end of the earth must include us if we are part of the same household as the apostles Their call affects our lives like the foundation of a house shapes the appearance of the structure on top. The scriptures determine how things have to happen. And once again, the people of God who who may look so small and, and insignificant in the eyes of the outsiders looking in, once again, we begin each day with action. We stop everything We're doing and we pray for God to fulfill His promise. We're constantly pre praying and Although we no longer need to pray for the Spirit to be poured out upon the church, we do pray for the Spirit to work powerfully in the hearts of everyone that we meet. You start the morning, you you pray, O Lord, let everybody who I meet work powerfully in their heart that the facts of Christ's work may move them to repentance and faith. We pray for revival in our own hearts and in our own congregation. And we pray for spiritual leaders who, like the chosen apostles, know the truth of God's Word and may be sincere in their hearts. We don't need to wait around until the Spirit is poured out. Nor do we need to Fix any breaches in the foundations. But having already been clothed with power from on high, we can continually build on the foundations that have already been laid, drawing everyone's attention to the cornerstone, to Jesus Christ. And so we pray that our Heavenly Father may prepare instruments for the Holy Spirit's work, that we may shape, sharpen the blocks of wood into effective arrows, Fill our hearts, our families, our spiritual leaders with joy and confidence in the resurrected and ascended King of the universe. And let us always remember that the church, this congregation, or the faithful church, wherever you may see it gathered together, this church is truly a promise of God fulfilled. Everything that God says always happens. Like Peter said, The scripture has to be fulfilled. The next step must take place. God's plan will always be fulfilled perfectly. You are part of something that that began already when God created the world. You can build your life on the finished work of Jesus Christ so that it's a life that is based on God's grace, full of forgiveness, always focused on God's glorious, expanding, eternal kingdom. Indeed, God fills our hearts with joy in Him. And when your life is built on Christ's finished work, then your heart is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, whom your Savior sent down from heaven to guide you in your transformed life. The Scripture hath to be fulfilled. The church that is based on the foundation of the twelve apostles is the church that received the Holy Spirit from the ascended and glorious King Jesus Christ and the church that will be standing on the earth looking for their Savior and King when He returns on the clouds. The scriptures have declared this to be true. And so you can count on it. Amen.